So the reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 49, which can be found on page 55 of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Genesis 49, beginning at verse 1. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and have hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore, and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a scrawny donkey lying down among the sheepfolds when he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land. He will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit himself to forced labour. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel so that that its rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at his heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed supple because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, 
because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your Father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Thank you, Chris. Nice, easy passage to preach on then, isn't it? Uh, that one. I remember as a, as a child, some of you older ones will remember this too, Christmas time came and, and there was a, a load of nuts in a bowl, the nut bowl, just once a year that the nuts were there and some of them were easy to crack and some of them were difficult. In fact, some of the nuts stayed in the bowl for months on end. I think they were the, I don't know, hazelnuts or whatever, you could just never crack them and I think some of these nuts this evening are going to stay in the bowl, so if you've got any problems then um, have a word with Nick afterwards. We'll, but but we, we will do our best to, to crack the major nuts and, and to have a feast in God's word tonight. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, present tense. And we thank you for that. And pray that as we, we look this evening into the life of Joseph, but really the end of the life of Jacob as he blesses his sons, we pray that you would speak to us so far ahead in the future from this passage, yet we too are your children. So speak to us by your spirit, we pray, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see things in your word, we pray. Amen. So there's a lot to get through tonight, and we're we're coming to the end of the life of Joseph. We're in the, the last but one chapter, and it's been a good story. The, the, the story of Joseph is a good one, isn't it? With, with a good ending. It, it ends well, which is always nice. And, and Joseph, despite the earlier difficulties in, in his life, no thanks to his brothers, whom we're going to meet tonight, is now second highest rank in the land of Egypt. And at Joseph's invitation, his father Jacob... And 11 of his brothers and their families had moved to Egypt because of the great famine that was going on. And and they moved there, and there were still five years of that famine yet to come. And and now in in chapter 49, it's 17 years later than that. And and these families of Jacob have settled in the land of Egypt, and they stay there for a long time. And Jacob, also called Israel, is about to die. We see that at the end there of chapter 48, verse 21. Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, I am about to die. He knew that he was going to die. And as with last week's passage, it's it's Jacob, not Joseph, who takes the centre stage this evening. And this is the Jacob that, that we who know our Bibles well have known since the womb. Since when he was in his mother's womb, we we learned about Jacob. In the mother's womb were twins. They were jostling. There were two nations in the womb of their mother. 
And, and Jacob is one of those rare Bible characters that we follow from conception right the way through their lives to their death and beyond because we meet him again in Egypt when, when the Lord speaking to Moses says, I am the God of Jacob. Jacob is still around. He's with me in the heavenly realms. And God's hand was upon Jacob. That's the one thing we learn about his life and, and had led him through some challenging and difficult years. We've read about them in, in Genesis. And through that journey that God had taken him on, that God had changed Jacob quite considerably. His name Jacob means deceiver. He was a cheat. He was a liar. He, he deceived his, his brother out of his birthright, his twin brother. And, and we see over the years how that, that Jacob changes from, from the mummy's boy that he was into a mighty man of God. And our God, who's a living God, still does that. He changes people. That's what he does. He changes them into mighty people of God. He shapes them. And that's, maybe you're aware of God doing that in your life. Maybe you hope that he will. He does. God changes people. He shapes people. But often it's through, as Shakespeare would say, the, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Sometimes God puts us through things, as he did with Jacob, that were incredibly difficult and challenging. Yet here he is at the end of his life, Israel, God's man. And now he's about to die. He, he gathers his 12 sons around him. They're not young boys anymore. They're, they're, some of them are almost as old as me. And they gathered around him to bless them. And this was an important thing in Old Testament times. This blessing was a, a deeply significant moment for the boys or for the men, but also for Jacob too. And he's about to tell them what would become of them in the future, in the near future and in the distant future. And what would become of their families. And what we, it's what we might call a prophetic blessing. Jacob speaks with the Spirit of God speaking through him. And that's what we get in this passage. And so the 12 sons from four different mothers, they will form the foundation of the nation of Israel. Israel comes out of these 12 foundation stones. Israel, their father, becomes Israel the nation. So that's the background to where we are in chapter 49. Let's get back to the passage and listen in to what the, the aging, dying Jacob has to say to his 12 sons. Verses 1 and 2 sets the scene. Then Jacob called for his sons and says, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. Assemble and listen. He calls them to listen. Twice he says, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. As Israel, he speaks as the man of God. Jacob meant deceiver. Israel means he struggles with God. Jacob had struggled with God that time at Peniel and had come out a, a very different man to when he went in. That was a name given way back in Genesis chapter 32. So he gathers his sons, gather round sons, listen. And then first up is Reuben in verses 3 and 4. Reuben is the firstborn son. And he says there that Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honour excelling in power. Reuben was top dog in the family of Jacob. He was the firstborn. He was superior in his status above the others. But, we read there, he was as turbulent 
as the waters. He was reckless. He was unbridled in his character. And then verse 4, we have a, a rebuke. You will no longer excel, Reuben. Why? Verse 4 gives us the answer there. For you went up on your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. This refers to an incident 40 years previously when, when, when Reuben had did something that he shouldn't have done. And it's just one tiny little verse in Genesis chapter 35 which says, while Israel, that's Jacob, was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine Billah. And Israel, that's Jacob, heard of it. Nothing more is spoken about that incident until now. And Jacob brings it up and says, you went up on your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. You will no longer excel. Billa was Dan and Naphtali's mother. She was the concubine of Jacob. And Reuben's reckless lust, and that's what it was, was his undoing for his future blessing. Sometimes we need to restrain ourselves, don't we? We we can be reckless. I think teenagers in particular, most of us do stupid things as teenagers, and most of us get away with it. Some of us don't. So we need to bridle in our recklessness. There you go, teenagers, there's a word for you. Bridle in your recklessness. Recklessness doesn't go on after teenage years, I assure you. (laughs) It's like a pantomime, isn't it? Oh, yes, it does. We all need to bridle in to, to our recklessness, that recklessness within us. It doesn't lead to good things. His future, Jacob goes on to say, that no prominent leader comes out of the tribe of, of Reuben. He doesn't do any good. And in, 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 as we read the history of the, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Reuben, that they continue reckless. They continue in that character. Next up, Simeon and Levi, verses 5 to 7. Let's hope they do better. And they're dealt with together. That They're brothers. And they're similar in disposition and character. And it seems that they're given to violence. They're given to cruelty. And the rebuke of Jacob that Jacob gives to them, again, refers back to an incident that happened in their lives when these two, two brothers took vengeance on, on, a, on the Shechemite people who lived nearby. And the, the story is that a young man, Shechem, had taken a fancy to their young sister Dinah. And he raped her. And afterwards, he wanted to marry her. And and to cut a long story short, Simeon and Levi were enraged by this. And they took the law into their own hands. And they tricked the Shechemite people and they brutally murdered them. They looted the city. They took away the herds, the flocks, the women and the children. They were cruel. They were vicious. And they were angry and they were violent. And verse 6, Jacob distances himself from them. Let me not enter into their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger, hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. What became of those boys? What became of their future? He said they're going to be scattered, verse 7, scattered and dispersed in the promised land. And that came true. Of the tribe of Simeon, they, they, they shrunk. Unlike the other tribes that grew, the Simeon tribe shrunk in their numbers. And then it seems they disappeared from the record. They were, they were absorbed into the other tribes. They were absorbed into the nations round about them. 
And Levi, the tribe of Levi, they were dispersed in a different way. When the land was given out to the various tribes, they weren't given any land, but they were given a special task. And their task was to be priests, that they were devoted to the service of God. And they had cities within the other tribes' lands. They were Levite cities, and that they're dealt out in Joshua chapter 21. So Levi came good. Levi were good servants of the living God. So thankfully, their future was a good future. So three sons dealt with by elderly Jacob, three sons rebuked and corrected. Thankfully, the next one is different, Judah. And he's dealt with in verses 8 to 12. Judah, verse 8, will be looked up to by the other tribes. They take the place, as it were, of of their brother, their their firstborn, superior and strong and and victorious in battle. Your brothers will bow down to you. And we see this fulfilled 700 years into the future, which thankfully through the Bible we, we can turn to that. It's the King David. King David becomes king over all of Israel. Israel is united under King David. All the tribes come together and form one nation. And it's as though the brothers bow down to them. David becomes king over Israel. Verse 9, Judah will be courageous and strong like a young lion. And we know from Revelation that who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the ultimate fulfillment in this prophecy. Verse 10 says that future rulers will come from the tribe of Judah, the scepter, the ruler's staff. These are symbols of of rule and dominion and authority. As well as David, many of the great leaders came from the tribe of Judah and would continue to come until verse 10. And verse 10 here is a significant verse. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. I can almost imagine a glazy look coming over the face of Jacob as he peers into the distant future and sees one who is to come. He looks into the the, the future and here we have a prediction of the Messiah. Until he who comes, to whom it belongs, he shall come and the obedience, not just of the tribes of Israel, but the, the obedience of the nations shall be his. And we know from the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. He is the great leader. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And the blessings go on for Judah in verses 11 and 12. Judah will be rich, will be prosperous, will be healthy in the fullest sense. Vines so strong that you can tie a donkey to it. How strong is that vine that you can tie your donkey up to it and leave it there for the day? And, and such a vast harvest of wine that when you tread the press, your clothes will be covered in the wine like blood and cover the garments, looking as though your clothes have been washed in wine. And then verse 12 speaks there of Judith's radiant health. Happy to be in Judah's tribe, wouldn't it? What of the other sons? Well, they're some of the nuts that are hard to crack. 
that one we might leave in the bowl, but also they kind of speak for themselves. We'd be here all night if I go through the, the, the sons. And Nick did give me permission to just skip over, you know, one, two, miss a few, 99. Oh, Joseph, here we go, verse 22. So let's go to 22, to Joseph, who also gets a wonderful blessing from his father, and rightly so. Joseph had already been blessed. Joseph, as we know from his story, had been through hell and high water. And here he is now, second in command. And, it, and Joseph also gets the blessing of his father, which is transferred to Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons. They become the half-tribes that, that are settled in Israel. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and his future, like Judas, will be fruitful and healthy. Difficulties and fierce warfare will come, but they will overcome them, verse 24, and be victorious. Why? Why would they be victorious? Verse 24 and 25 gives the answer. Because, note the repetition, because, 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 because. Because what? Because God's hand will be upon you. Because God's hand will shepherd and help you. Because God himself will bless you, bless you with rain, bless you with sunshine, water, to irrigate the land with an abundance, offspring for man and animals. What a blessing upon Joseph, the prince among his brothers. And last but not least, Benjamin, the youngest of all the brothers, wolf-like, fierce in character, unpredictable, as he proved to be in later years. So ends Jacob's prophetic blessing upon his 12 sons. And each blessing was given, verse 28, was appropriate to the son to whom it was given. As you read about these 12 sons, and and you look at it from God's point of view, I'm going to build a nation, and these are the foundations that I'm going to build the nation upon. You'd think, that's not a good foundation, is it, Lord? They're not the most reliable. They're a mixed bag of humans to build a nation upon, aren't they? And, and so the story goes on. So, so what happened to these 12 brothers? Did Jacob's prophetic blessings come true? Well, yes, of course they did, because he spoke from, as, through the Spirit of God. And why, why did God call out a people for his own? What was the purpose of this nation of Israel? There's just a couple of questions that, that I want to try and answer this evening in, in the application of this passage. In this passage, Jacob is preparing these foundation stones for a nation. Why did God call out a nation for himself? What happened to these 12 sons? Well, as we turn over the page to Exodus, there are 300 years in these pages, thereabouts, 300 years of time. And in that time, these people grew numerically. They exploded in population. So much so that we read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 9, hundreds of years later, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. The nation grew astronomically. It's reckoned that there were by now three million of them. When Moses led them out of Egypt, after that great struggle with Pharaoh, there were a million plus crossing the Red Sea. It was a nation. 
God had fulfilled the promise through Jacob. Here was the nation, the people of God, descended from the tribes. They, they lived still in the tribes, named after these um, brothers, these sons of Jacob. And eventually the, the nation, they, 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 they escaped Egypt and they settled eventually. It's a long story. It goes on for pages and pages in the Bible. They settled in the promised land, just as God promised Abraham they would. It took a while, but they got there in the end for a short while. And then they disobeyed God and they were thrown out again. They, were, they continued a troublesome lot. And, and the story is, isn't a fairy tale with a happy ending. These 12 tribes, these relatives of the 12 sons of Jacob, are people who'd been called out of the nations to be God's own nation. They proved to be what? Stubborn, rebellious, stiff-necked, disobedient. These are Bible words. To the God who called them, they were faithless. They were forever grumbling. They were violent. They were fighting with each other. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and selfishly did what was right in their own eyes. They were a difficult bunch of people. There were some good eggs amongst them. Thank goodness for that. Faithful servants of God that stand out like stars in the darkness of of these Old Testament stories. Joshua, Moses, the prophets, the judges, the good kings like David and Solomon, ordinary folks, even foreigners like Rahab and Ruth were there. Naomi, we're learning about in the morning, shining like stars in the darkness. That's what happened to them. Why did God call out a people of his own? They weren't very good. He must have been disappointed, we would imagine, wouldn't we? That I've called out these people, I've blessed them with countless blessings, I've given them leaders, and look what they've turned out to be. So why did God call out a people for his own? What was the point? Had he failed in doing that? And and the big picture is that these people, this nation, were a canvas on which God could paint a picture of himself. Who is God? What is the God of Jacob like? Who is the God of Abraham? What is he like? How do we know what God's like? We learn it from the scriptures. God is painting a picture of himself. This is what God, this little tiny word, is like. This is our God. He's painting a picture of himself. He revealed himself to all the nations through his chosen people. That's what God was doing. He was revealing himself, showing them his power, his holiness, his kindness, his patience, his just judgments, his fatherly discipline, his righteous anger. And in the record of this nation, the Old Testament scriptures, we see God as as a shepherd, as a guide, as a deliverer, as a protector. We we gain strength, don't we, from the picture of God that that is given in, in these Old Testament scriptures. Through the sacrifices, we learn of the holiness of God. And these were but a shadow, a type of the real sacrificial lamb. They were pointing to the reality, the reality of a kingdom that God is going to take out of the world, made up from every nation. The reality of a sacrifice that was going to be his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into the world and was revealing himself to his disciples, there were good days and, and the disciples were beginning to think, hmm, Who is this guy that's come? Is it the Messiah? 
that we've been waiting for, longing for. And in John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip, my namesake, he says to his friend Nathaniel, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus was the one who was revealed in the scriptures. And what about us? Bishop Hannington, so far removed, aren't we, the people, God's people, from this this old picture of Jacob, and yet not from the God who was Jacob's God, not at all. We're as near to him or can be as Jacob was. Jesus is still building that real kingdom, the real kingdom of God, the real people of God, not the shadow, but the reality, not the type, but the anti-type. And our promised land is not someplace somewhere in the Far East, but it's in, like it said in Hebrews, we are looking forward to the city without foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Brothers and sisters, how do we enter that kingdom? We enter it by a door, and that door is Jesus Christ. There is no other way, one door, to enter the kingdom of God. We enter it by faith, by repentance and faith. We, we need to realize that we have need of a saviour, because the scriptures not only tell us about what God is like, but the scriptures are also a canvas painting a picture of humanity that is lost. I see myself in those brothers far too clearly. I see myself in these disobedient children of God. This canvas paints a picture of me. We need to realise our need of a saviour to enter the kingdom of God. We need to reach out to Jesus Christ, who is able and he's willing to save us. And we need to receive that gift of life that he's ready to give freely. Do we have to be good enough to get this gift, to enter the kingdom of God? Were the 12 brothers good enough for the, found, for the, the nation of Israel to be founded on them? No, neither are we. So may we, by God's grace, know and experience not the blessings of Jacob, but the blessings of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your kingdom is a real kingdom. Jesus Christ is a real saviour. And we pray that even this evening we might rejoice with the angels over sinners who repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and enter that kingdom of God that is an eternal kingdom whose foundation, whose builder is God. And we praise you for that and thank you that the door is still open, the invitation is still there, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And with a blessing that is unbelievably wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Hear our prayers, answer our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. While the musicians come up. We are going to sing a hymn together, a hymn written centuries ago by a dear old saint, Isaac Watts, who speaks of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, being one that is eternal, that is everlasting. So stand and sing this this hymn together and pray that God would help you to enter and to enjoy his kingdom and the blessings of that kingdom.
Jesus shall reign where 